We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Tonight we're continuing in our series in Malachi, and we've, uh, we've titled it um, Arguing with God. Last week we saw, if you were here, that with the, God is arguing with the people, and this week we see him shift his focus to the priest. He declares to the priest in Malachi 1, 6 through 14, that they are not truly worshiping him. He declares to them that he is worthy of of true worship. So we look through this passage, we'll see that the main idea is that God declares to us that he is worthy of our true worship. So as you're sitting here tonight, you might think to yourself, you may ask the question, what is worship then? What do you mean by worship? Merriam-Webster defines worship as honoring or showing reverence to someone or something that is divine or deity. That's what God declares to us that we ought to be showing him. We ought to be showing him honor and reverence. We ought to honor God and reverence and revere him in our worship. And he, he starts out this argument with the priests by first telling them, declaring to them that I am your father. We see in Malachi 1.6, if you'll turn there with me today. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? God begins this section of this, this argument with the priests by declaring to them that I am your father. And just like you honor your earthly fathers... Just like you honor your earthly masters, you ought to honor me. If you honor your earthly father, how much more should you honor me, your heavenly father? This language of father would have brought back to them, would brought to mind for them the Ten Commandments. And I'm sure you can remember what the fifth commandment says. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. God declares to the people, he declares to the priest that a father deserves honor and reverence. That he deserves to be honored. And just like you honor your earthly father, you ought to honor me. But we see as we continue through the passage that this is not what the priests are doing. And maybe you can think of a time in your own life when you didn't follow the instruction of your own father, your own mother. I know I can. Um, a story I've told here in the past. Um, one of when I was younger, we had gone camping over the summer. I was eight or nine years old, and the night before it had rained. And the next morning, we get up and we begin riding our bikes. And as we get to this hill in the campground, my parents stop me. My my sister continues on, and they tell me, "Bryce, you need to tie your shoe." So I tie my shoe. 
and get back on, on my bike. As I look off in the distance, my sister is all the way down the hill. And going through my mind is, I have to catch up with her. My father, knowing what was going through my mind, looks at me and says, Bryce, now be careful. Don't go flying down this hill. It's wet. It's slick in the road. If you fly down that hill, you're probably going to crash. And it took me all of five seconds for those words to go in one ear and out the other. And I was flying down this hill. <laughs> and it probably took a total of five more seconds. And I'm wiped out on the side of the road. And... I mean, my arm's scratched up, my knees are banged up, and now we're headed back to the campsite because I'm bleeding and the trip's over. So, and as I'm sitting here, is that, is that me? Oh, sorry. As I'm sitting here on the bench, my father comes over to me as I'm being bandaged up, and he looks at me and says, Bryce, now why didn't you listen to what I had to say? I told you not to fly down that hill. I told you not to, to rush after your sister, but you didn't listen. I told you that because I knew it was going to happen. I knew that the road was slick. You ought to listen to me because I'm your father. You ought to listen to what I have to say. And God declares the same thing to the people. He declares the same thing to the priests. You ought to listen to me because I'm your father. You ought to listen to my instructions. But we see as we continue in verse 6 that this is not what the priests did. They despised him. They despised his name. God looks at him and says, you're not following my instruction. You're not listening to my commands. Instead, you despise me. And this would have brought to mind for them this story of Jacob and Esau. If you remember Jacob and Esau. You remember that Esau was the older brother. He had inherited this birthright from his father. He was the oldest brother, and Jacob was the younger. They were the sons of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And Esau has this birthright, which is his, this promise of an inheritance. He was promised all of his father's possessions at the end of his father's life. And in this story, in Genesis 25... We see that he despised his birthright. If you look at the story with me, it should be up here on the screen. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is the birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Did you see what happened here in this story? Do you understand what's going on here? Esau, in this moment, decide that my own hunger, my own personal needs are more important than all of my father's possessions. We have Esau sell his inheritance, which would have included all of his father's servants, all of his father's flock, all of his father's tent, all of his father's land, all of this stuff that was his father's, and he sold it for a one-time bowl of stew. He basically declares in this moment that 
my inheritance isn't all that important. It's equal in value to this bowl of bean stew. And God looks at the priest and says, you do the same thing when you don't worship me correctly. You do the same thing when you don't worship me truly. And then as God declares this to them, at right here at the beginning, he's saying, you ought to worship me. He begins to tell them how you're not and that you, how you ought to. God declares to them that just as I am worthy of true worship, I am also worthy of fitting worship. We continue in Malachi verse 1, chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. You can turn there with me or look on the screen. By offer, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are sick or lame, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God starts off this argument by declaring to them, I'm your father, you ought to honor me. You ought to follow my instructions. And then he begins showing them how they're not following it. God declares to them that I am worthy of your very best, and yet you don't give that to me. He looks at them and says, you're offering unclean sacrifices to me. And he's looking at the priest and saying, you ought to know better. You ought to know what to offer me. They would have known the law. In Deuteronomy 17, God tells the people, You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep in which is a blemish, any defect whatever, for that is an abomination to the Lord your God. God looks at the priests and he tells them, You're offering unclean sacrifices. You're not offering me your best. You're giving to me these sick, lame, and blind lambs, and you're keeping the best for yourself. Just like Esau, you're declaring, my, the, what, you're declaring what you see my worth is by not giving me your very best. Just like Esau declared that his inheritance didn't, ma- didn't matter compared to the bowl of stew, you're telling me that I don't matter compared to your own satisfaction, your own prosperity. And he looks at him and says, just as you offer these things to me, would you offer them to your governor? He tells him to present that to your governor. Will he accept or show you favor? And we look at that and we say to ourselves, of course we wouldn't do that. If it was someone that we found important, of course we wouldn't offer our, our worst to them. We would offer the best to them, wouldn't we? And so God looks at the people, looks at the priest and says, why are you doing this with me then? Why are you offering me your, your second, your third, your fourth best. If your governor wouldn't accept that offering, why should I accept it? Imagine with me, one night you're sitting at home and you're sitting down on the couch, you've just had a long day at work, 
and all of a sudden you hear a knock at your door. And you're thinking to yourself, who could this be this late at night coming to my house, knocking on my door? And you go over and you answer the door and you won't believe it. It's the Queen of England standing outside your door. And she looks at you and says, I'm coming to eat with you tonight. And so you're thinking to yourself, this is crazy. But you invite her in. You're like, of course, ma'am. Come on inside. Here's a chair for you. Come sit down. And then you go to your kitchen and you open up the fridge and you're looking around, and on the top shelf there are these two T-bone steaks you just bought today. They're brand new, fresh out of the grocery store. But you're thinking to yourself, I think I'm going to save that for another day. I don't feel like making that tonight for me. I don't, don't really want to bring that to the queen. I think I'll save that for another night. But I know I've got these two ribeye steaks that I bought two months ago down here in this drawer. And then you fish around in this bottom drawer and you pull out these two-month-old steaks and you throw them on the grill and you serve that to the Queen of England. And I know each one of you is thinking, that's completely absurd. Why would you do that? That's the Queen of England sitting in your house. Why would you offer her a two-month-old steak? It's probably turning green. Why would you offer her that? And God looks at the people of Israel. He looks at the priest and says, that's the same thing you're doing with me. Why would you offer me that? Why would you offer me your, your worst? You wouldn't offer that to your governor. You wouldn't offer that to your king. You wouldn't even offer that to your own mother. Why would you offer me that? And just as he's asking them, why would you offer me that? He says, fine, it would be better if they just shut the doors to the temple. Your, your half-hearted worship, your... Your second, third, fourth best is an abomination. And we ought to just shut the temple down and stop worship in general. He, he cries out and says, Oh, that there was one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. God wishes, we, God wishes the people just didn't even worship him at all if they're not going to offer his best. God tells them that your offering is not accepted because it's not your best. Your offering is not presentable because it's not your best. God declares to them that I am worthy of your very best, that I'm worthy of a worship that is fitting for a king. And maybe you're coming here tonight and you're thinking to yourself, maybe you're coming here tonight and you're you enjoy, you enjoy going out on Saturday nights and watching the football game. Or maybe you're the person that enjoys the football game after church on Sundays. And not to say there's anything wrong with enjoying a football game. Believe me, I, I enjoy college football. The Georgia Bulldogs look like they're going to be good this year. I hope. <laughs> but maybe we should ask ourselves, do we enjoy football more than we enjoy worshiping God? Do we give more of our time and our energy to football than we do to worshiping God? Or maybe we're the person that's accumulated possessions for ourselves. Maybe it's a car or a house or our money. Maybe we don't really have, we haven't accumulated much of that at all. We just have what we're getting by with. And we're 
thinking to ourselves, we're worried, how do I, how do I give that to God, that something I've worked so hard for? How do I let God use that? How do I worship God with that? Do we give more of our time and our energy to these possessions that we've accumulated than we do to God? God tells us tonight that he is worthy of our very best, that we ought to, to give our time and our energy to him, that we ought to give our best to him, that we ought to worship him with our very best, that we ought to worship him fittingly. And then he continues in the passage, he continues in his argument with the priests by telling them that I am worthy of willing worship. The worship shouldn't just be fitting for me. It should be done willingly. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 13 through 14, if you'll continue with me in there. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick. And this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it. And yet sacrifices the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God continues in his argument and declares to the priest that just like I am worthy of fitting worship, I am worthy of willing worship. God is worthy of our wholehearted devotion. But we see here that the priest in this this part of the argument, they seem to have given up on declaring to God that, no, we haven't done any of that stuff. They seem to, at this point, say, okay, you're right, God. We have done what's wrong. But it's your fault, though. Your, your worship is doing these, these sacrifices are wearisome. They're burdensome, God. And God looks at the people here. He looks at the priest and says, no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. If you're doing it correctly, if you're worshiping me willingly, if you're worshiping me with your very best, it is supposed to be joyful. It's supposed to bring joy. As we look at Matthew 11, we see that Christ says to come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The worship of God should not be wearisome to us. Instead, it should bring us joy. It should not bring us, it should not be a burden. It should bring us joy. Yet we see here that the priests seem to look upon the worship of God as though it is a hated chore. So it's one of these chores that we grew up with as a kid that we just despise doing. Maybe you can think of a time in your life when your parents would send you out or send you somewhere to do something for them, do one of the chores around the house. I know I can. One of my least favorite chores was picking up pine cones in the yard. I remember getting up on Saturday morning and I'd see my, my dad go out to the yard and he'd go out of the shed and, and you'd see him pull out this little push mower that we had. And me and my sister knew at that moment we're about to have to go out there and pick up pine cones. We had a push mower, so it was a small area of grass. But our dad didn't want us to just pick up pine cones in the grass. You had to pick up pine cones wherever there was a walkway. If a car pulled through it, pine cones had to be picked up. 
If you walk through it, pine needles had to be picked up there. And so you'd end up like gathering, gathering up about three five-gallon buckets full of these pine cones. And then you have to tote all three of them back to the back and dump them in the back. And we hated that chore. We did not like it. And this is the same attitude that the priests have about worshiping God, that they have about offering sacrifices. They look at it and say, it is wearisome. It's a burden. God declares to them that it is not supposed to be that way, that it should bring you joy. Worshiping me should bring you joy. He then moves on to the people here. He tells them, cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. He looks at the people and says, don't be like the priests. Don't follow after them. Don't follow in their footsteps. They have done, done evil in my sight. Don't follow them. Instead, follow my commands. Follow my instructions. He gives them a warning here. Bring your very best. And then he gives them the reason why. For I am a great king. God tells them, you ought to bring your best because I am the king. Your worship ought to be fitting for a king. Your worship ought to be your very best. And it ought to be willing. It ought to be from your heart. It ought to be a wholehearted devotion. He says, I am a great king. And my name will be feared among the nations. You ought to worship me with your whole heart because I will be glorified. God promises that he will be glorified. That he will be made great. He tells us back in verse 11, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. He promises them that one day, there is a day coming when I will be made great among the nations. And you can either follow after me, you can either worship me and be a part of that glorification, or you cannot be. You can be like the priests. And so maybe we come here tonight... get home from work and we're just weary and we're tired we've had a long day we've had a long week at times we we wake up on Sunday morning and it's a struggle to come into church it's a struggle to get up out of bed to leave your apartment or your house and you're thinking to yourself man God I just need a day to myself I need a day just to rest God's calling us come to me come find your joy in me come and worship me Give me your whole heart. Follow after me. Or maybe we're the person who comes home from work knowing that we need to come home and read the Bible. We need to spend time with the Lord. And it's a struggle for us because we know that we've just spent all day at work. We've had a long day and we just want to come home, eat dinner, and just sit down on the couch and just maybe watch some TV. And then go to bed and then do the same thing tomorrow. But God's calling us, worship me. Give your whole heart to me. Wholeheartedly follow after me. And maybe you come here tonight and you're just thinking to yourself, this is cool and all. This is cool to hear about sacrifices, but how does this apply to my own life? How does this affect me? Well, I think Paul gives us a really good answer here in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. If you want to look at that with me on the screen. 
I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul declares to us that you're right. We don't bring lambs to church with us. We don't bring a sacrifice to church with us. He said, but instead, you bring yourself. You bring yourself as a sacrifice to God. You come to God and you tell him, I know that I don't have anything worth to offer you. I don't have anything that will measure up to what you are, God. But all I bring is myself. I just pray that you take me and you use me to glorify yourself. Pray that he uses us for what is good and acceptable and perfect in his eyes. And he promises us, unlike with what the priests are saying, that it's burdensome, that it's not burdensome. We know that it is joyful. We look at that, that verse in Matthew 11 again. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus promises us that if you follow after him, that if you follow his instructions, that no, it's not going to be easy. He tells his disciples that, I mean, you're going to face persecution. You're going to face trials. But he'll be with us. And so it won't be burdensome. It'll be something that we can walk through joyfully because we know that Christ is with us. He promises us in the Great Commission that he will be with us to the very end of the age. And so if you come here tonight and you are struggling, you're weary, God is calling you, Christ is calling you to rely upon him, to turn to him and worship him, to give your best and to give your whole heart to him, to follow after him, to follow his instructions. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and you don't know exactly what we're talking about. You don't understand this worship of God. Well, Christ tells us that it first starts with us repenting and believing in him, turning to Christ. And we know that we have no way to worship God unless we first do turn to Christ. Christ came down, left his throne in heaven, and came down as a baby, lived a perfect life, and then died on a cross for us. He died a death that we deserved, took upon himself the wrath of God, so that we might be in heaven and worship God for eternity. And so if you don't know Christ tonight, if you don't know what the worship of God is, then turn to Christ tonight. First turn to him and believe. Christ says to repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is near. So we just, we just if you don't know him, I just beg with you, just turn to him tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear my Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have just to, to gather before you tonight. We have to, to come to you, to worship you. God, we pray that our, our hearts and our minds, that they're focused on you tonight, that we've listened to, this, to your word, that we've learned from your word. God, we pray that, that we're convicted by the word, and that we, we see the areas where we're not offering our best, that we're not offering our whole heart, that we're not willingly worshiping you. And God, we just pray that we repent of that and turn to you and give these, these areas over to you. 
that we give our best to you. God, we know that you are worthy of it. We know that you are worthy of our best worship. God, we thank you for everything you've done for us. God, we, we thank you that that's the reason that we can worship you with our best, that you have given us life, that you've given us life to the fullest. You've given us Christ. God, we just are so thankful for everything you've done for us tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.